Thank you for joining us on the Anchor Conversations podcast, where we are bringing your Sunday into your weekday. Our goal is to invite you into the conversation that's happening when we're preaching on Sunday mornings by giving you an opportunity to ask questions and to continue to interact with the text through this podcast. Let's get started. Welcome to Anchor Conversations. This is Lindsay. I'm the guest host today because you don't want to hear Tyler interview himself. Tyler's here, though. I am here. Thank you for uh, stepping in as our guest host this week. You're very welcome. I feel like I should host every week. Well, this is your trial, so <laughs> maybe if you do good, we'll we'll hire you to do this for free, full time. I want lots of money. <laughs> well, then you came to the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this week you preached on Mark 7, 24 through 8, 10. And there was three different stories you talked about. Your big idea was God's pursuit of those on the margins invites us to the margins. Um, And you went through each text. The first one was the heroic Gentile woman. The second one was... um, Mm, remind me of the second helpless one. gentile man helpless gentile man and then the last one was the feeding of the gentiles the yeah four thousand a hungry whatever. gentile crowd because i yes. went full-on alliteration this week which i never do but decided yeah. to yeah so my notes ended after the first point so sorry yeah. about that so that's where you fell asleep <laughs> <laughs> so anyways the got so let's, the first question we're going to talk about is about the woman that he calls a dog um, you had said it was a derogatory term, um, and I liked your explanation, but I was curious what other reasons people might think he might have used the word dog, um, because you had kind of alluded to there being other possible reasons. Um, I also was wondering, like, could someone even use this passage to defend racism? If that is derogatory, could this be something that's like, well, Jesus said it, so it's okay if we say it. Yeah, so um, the there's a lot of different kind of thoughts on what Jesus is doing there. So I'll give, I think I have about six of them um, that I'll go through uh, just briefly. And there's more. So uh, that actually, that section, that sentence where Jesus says the children should be fed first um, and not the dogs is uh, there's so much just literature out there on that because it's just really hard to understand what Jesus is doing there. And there's a lot of different thoughts. So um, I'll run through those and then I'll answer the second part of your question, uh, which is, can someone use this passage to defend racism? Um, So there's kind of a range of thoughts on what Jesus is doing there. And it's everything from on the one side, uh, which I don't, I would, my personal opinion is these aren't good faith really readings of the text, but they're out there which is that Jesus never actually said that this scenario never actually happened. Mm. Um, but that later, um, narratives of this were written, written into the gospel of Mark that weren't there to begin with, uh, because there was uh, kind of this controversy with, um, the Pharisees. And if I remember correctly, it's particularly like the third century, there was just this big kind of, anti-Pharisee movement. And so it was written in, uh, this is the theory, as a way to just really make the Pharisees look look really bad because of the woman's response um, is, is really shames the Pharisees because she gets it, which I talked about in my sermon. Mm-hmm. So there's this idea that, okay, this was never actually here. 
uh, that was never actually happened. It was added later to kind of as a narrative, essentially, um, which I don't agree with. I don't believe, obviously. And I don't, there's no there's no textual evidence of that, of it being added in. There's not earlier manuscripts than what we have that don't include this um, this text. So there's no proof of that. It's just conjecture. So that's one side. And then you have kind of the other side that I would, you know, kind of view of the spectrum, which is that Jesus is some of the ways that people will kind of explain this is um, like Jesus was saying this in a in a gentle voice or kind of like with the wink of an eye. Some authors will even say um, like, like he's being facetious almost. He's kind of like being joking. Um, so he's saying, let the children be fed first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And he's kind of saying it almost in, in a tone where everyone around would understand he's he's joking. He's he's kind of making fun of that saying almost. Mm. Um, I think, honestly, in my opinion, that kind of lets Jesus off the hook in some ways. I think it, it oversimplifies what he's doing. Uh, but that's out there. Um, you'll hear uh, some commentators talk about Jesus using, in the Greek, as it's recorded, it's it's the what's called the diminutive form of dog. So it's like, uh, you could understand it as like, um, like a puppy or like a cute dog is kind of the way to think about it. Um, so they're trying to say like, Jesus isn't saying, she, you know, isn't calling her a gross dog. He's calling her a cute dog. Um, <laughs> that makes it better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and, and the other thing with that is, so we have to remember, we have to take off our, 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 our glasses of, of our culture you know, we have, you and I have three dogs. I just battled them to get them out of this room so we could mm -hmm. record. Um, and they're, we think they're cute and, and we let them on the couch and we cuddle them and all, and all that. So when we think of a dog, we're thinking of a very different animal than what people at this time were thinking of. They, they didn't like dogs and, and dogs were not viewed as, as really as pets at all. Honestly, I, I, I thought about saying this in my sermon, but it felt like a rabbit trail maybe a more appropriate way to think about it for us, for how we think about animals and, and, and just an animal that would be more appropriate for us would be like a rat, maybe. Like this is a pest. They're, they're, uh, they're disease ridden. Um, they're gross. And so if someone calls you a baby rat, <laughs> that's still any better. <laughs> exactly. So, so I, you know, that's an explanation out there though. Um, just a couple more. One, one would be that Jesus actually is struggling to understand kind of the scope of his ministry or like, like Jesus doesn't quite get the full scope of his ministry that the, the Gentiles will be included. So he's actually just saying this because he believes it. No, I didn't come for you. I came for the children of Israel. Which doesn't make sense when he's in Gentile places. Exactly. Right. Stories. Yep. So, so I don't, I don't agree with that either, but that's, that's a theory out there. Um, like there's some thought that maybe Jesus was even wrestling with that question. He, he wasn't quite sure himself. There's some authors that will even say that the woman instructed Jesus, which that's a really interesting thing to think about mm -hmm. is that the, you know, in her response that Jesus had kind of a light bulb moment there of understanding, oh, she's right. Maybe, maybe that, you know, others should get the crumbs too, so to speak. So there's a, a, I thought out there of like that. And then and the last one that, that I would say, there's more than this, but that I'll say is, is also kind of understanding is like a testing of her faith. Like Jesus is saying this simply to test her faith and see how she'll respond. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I said how I feel about it in my sermon, but just to summarize that, I do, I do think that Jesus was leaning into the complexity 
of that relationship between Jews and Gentiles and really highlighting how far away from God's story as the, the Jewish people understood it, she was and, and other Gentiles were. And, and he was also opening the door for her to respond and inviting her in um, to kind of shame everyone with her understanding, with the brilliance of her response. I think in his wisdom, he was he was doing that, uh, both of those things in that moment. And the, the last thing I'll say about that is that, you know, a lot of the answers that are out there for, for not just this text, but a lot of hard texts is we're trying to find like, like we're trying to simplify things mm. and just like put it in a really comfortable box, like our theology and our questions to hard answers. We just want like a quick, easy, buttoned up answer. And I just think in a lot of the Bible that we're not going to, we're not going to find that the, the Bible is complex and it's mm. difficult. And that's because the, the, the author of that word, the spirit of God is, is not like us. I mean, he is, we're made in his image, but He's also so, his thoughts are so much higher. His ways are so much higher. And we need to be comfortable with some of these texts that make us uncomfortable. And, and still trying to understand it. And so my, my understanding of this text, in my opinion, fits with the, the, the broad understanding of Jesus, his work, his mission, the revelation of who he is. Um, but it doesn't need to be buttoned up in such a way, in my opinion, to where it, it kind of lets us go, oh, okay, I got the, the pat answer to that and just I can tuck it away. Mm -hmm. This text still makes me uncomfortable because of that second part of your question. Can someone use this passage to defend racism? On the one hand, they can. You could say, well, Jesus. Yeah, you take it out of context. You can use it wherever you want. Exactly. And that's the thing. You have to take it out of context. You could say, well, Jesus used a racial, racial slur and, and you wouldn't be wrong. Uh, technically, that, that was a racial slur at that time. But he's using it to expose the falsehood of it. He's using it to expose, especially in the context of the Pharisees. And we're going to see this next week, I'm sure, when, when Jason preaches. We're going to, again, see the Pharisees not getting it, the disciples not getting it. And the whole point of this text is she gets it. Mm. The one that you guys are saying is a dog that culturally we all understand as dogs you know, Jesus as a Jewish man is is kind of uh, in some ways associating with that. And not that he believes it, but he's associating in some ways with that. Um, she's the one that gets it. She's the one that's right at the center of God's story hmm. uh, because of her faith. And so he's actually flipping their understanding of that and saying, actually, you know, that she, he's showing the, the, the kind of baldness of that, hmm. that slur. So, yes, could someone use it? Yeah, but they would be using it out of context. And I'm sure people have used it. Um, but they wouldn't be using it within the context. Uh, there's two things I was thinking of when you're explaining that. One is that I realized I've always read this text as if um, Jesus is rolling his eyes, like, oh my gosh, this woman. And so I thought your explanation was super helpful. It was like, oh yeah, that doesn't fit Jesus's character, that he'd be rolling his eyes and annoyed at this woman. Right. Um, Which it, is another understanding of that text, by the way. Yeah, it was just, it's just, it, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. But the other thing I was thinking of is actually like a, a way to understand this is almost like, like you and I do this a lot. Where, where we'll be, um, I'll, I'll say like, I'm going to go do something, um, like lead, lead a huddle, for instance. And you'll say, you can't do that. You're a woman. And it's a wink at like, there are cultures that falsely degrade women. Falsely is not the right word I'm looking for, but you know, yeah. they, they make women out to be less than. And so you'll kind of say that as like a wink at like, 
see like like how absurd that is yeah you're more than capable of leading a huddle right and i think that so that's just i don't know once you were saying that i was like that's actually exactly how we talk yeah you know yeah it's kind of flipping that on its head to say isn't it absurd that people would say this isn't it absurd that someone would call someone else made in the image of god a dog right especially when you know uh she gets it yeah (laughs) she did right she's the one that gets it yeah but but yeah, the Bible will be used uh, to defend racism, and it has been historically, yeah. you know. And I do think that that's where context really matters for us, because when you look at you know what's known as the slave Bible, which were Bibles that slaveholders would give to the enslaved people, they had to cut out whole portions of those Bibles, mm-hmm. including the entire story of the Exodus. And the reason for that is because if you have the full revelation of God. Uh, racism does not fit with the revelation of God. And Mm -hmm. so uh, you have to cut out the surrounding parts in order to just take something and, and say, well, God, God made it this way. I would say the same for a lot of different uh, isms that we have. Um, Sexism being one of the, you you have to pull out the whole story of God to get there Mm -hmm. and people do. And so will it happen? Yeah, absolutely. But should it happen? No. And actually that's, exactly what jesus is exposing in the right. pharisees in mm-hmm. the previous section right yeah so that's good yeah well the next thing i was thinking about was that the story of the um the man that was deaf and mute um jesus tells him to tell no one and he runs off and tells everyone right so my i i, I actually think this every time i read this i'm like is that disobedience like isn't that being like never whatever jesus or is jesus actually saying it flippantly like you know when you're parenting and you're like Hey, don't do that. And you know, they're going to do it anyways, but you feel like you should say that, you know, is that that what Jesus is doing? Like, how would you answer that? Yeah. I mean, I, this is another one where there's a complexity to it that I want to be comfortable sitting in with the, um, you know, the idea of like God's sovereignty and then human free will. There's a complexity there. Um, now on the, on the one hand, I would say, you know, James tells us that it's sin so it's disobedience to know good and yet not do it. Mm. So that actually sets the bar for sin really low. Just to know the right thing to do and not do it is sin. It isn't, James isn't saying to be instructed in the right way, mm. but just to know. So even based off of general revelation, to know the right thing to do, to know because your conscience pings when you lie, not because someone read you the Bible and told you it's wrong to lie, but just your conscience pings that moment and you do it anyway is sin, right? So yeah, technically they're disobeying the word of the Lord there. Mm. Um, But also I wonder if there's a bit of like a, you know, when Paul uh, in Philippians one talks about people preaching Christ out of envy or rivalry or selfish ambition, not that the crowd is being selfish in that moment, but that, their their motives for preaching the gospel um, are misguided in some sense because Jesus told them not to say anything. Mm. So their their motives certainly are not obedience, but there's also an excitement there. I think that they have, and in, in 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 some ways maybe even like a, a childish excitement and, and and faith that I wonder if there's a, again like a complexity there. I I don't want to like I don't want to narrow God down to like he's either mad or he's happy, one of the two. In the same way that you can at the same time with your kids be uh, disappointed and proud 
maybe because I've had this where, you know, <laughs> they make a, they say something or they make a joke that you're like, man, uh, that's inappropriate, but really witty. <laughs> so at the same time, I'm like, oof, but also, man, that's really smart, you know? Um, so I, I just, you know, I don't know, it, you know, I would, I would like to think we're made in the image of God and that he's a person and there might be a complexity there of like, okay, you're not listening to me, but I understand your excitement about me. Mm. And, and, and then there's a, a softness towards that. I mean, I don't know a yeah. grace towards that. Um, but I, I don't think that it's as simple as, you know, bad, good, good, bad, yes, technically they're disobeying Jesus and they're preaching the good news, which is a good thing. So it's, it's complex. It's a gray area. Yeah. I was thinking, I wonder like if they hadn't, I wonder if Jesus's ministry would have been longer. Like if, like, so like even, so like his heart with it is like, cause, cause the whole thing is like, don't tell anyone because once people know they're going to come after me. Right. So if they don't know, then they won't come after him. And then he has a longer ministry on earth. Like, it's just an interesting thought. Like, yeah, except for in this case, they're Gentiles. And so they're not the ones who are ultimately going to hand him over. Um, you know, it's the, the Jews that ultimately betray him and hand him over. But the Gentiles kill him. They do. Yeah. So again, there's a complexity, right? Yeah. Um, but for his renown to go out in the, in the Decapolis, um, but yeah, I'm sure that does as, as the Pharisees are aware of that heighten their desire to take him out mm. because his popularity is growing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, but I do think that all of that happens within the sovereignty of God and the wisdom of God. And again, that's where the complexity is. Mm-hmm. Um, God's not taken uh, surprised by that. Right. Um, but it is kind of a mixed bag there where, yeah, technically they're disobeying the word of the Lord, but also they're preaching the gospel, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. So, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a non-answer, but it's yeah. it's complex is what I'll say. Yeah, which is most things in the Bible. Yeah. Um, then, so you gave um, cat- biblical categories for people that might be on the margin or that, yeah, people that would be seen in the Bible as on the margin. Uh, and then you had said, like, if you have questions about cultural, like, maybe text in. And so I did. <laughs> so I was wondering, what are these cultural categories? Like, and maybe even specific to Gilbert, what, who are the people marginalized in our immediate community, like our neighbors and the people down the street? Um, I think that the, well, the first thing is the biblical categories, I think, are still super helpful for us. Um, so that's why I only gave those, because I think that those should be our primary um, kind of categories we're thinking about. And then the cultural categories fall, fall under these essentially. Um, but so I I just want to speak to one in particular, uh, really quick, like in our context, I think the poor being in a a marginalized category, um, is an important one for us to think about in an upper middle class area. Um, that, you know, how does the opulence of our city and the opulence of our lives, uh, how does that play with people who are uh, experiencing poverty, homelessness, things like that? It, it, are, are, we, are we trying to remove ourselves from them or are we moving towards them? And, and is all of the stuff that we have a hindrance to that? So I will just drop that in as, as a biblical category that's also super relevant, I think, for our context. Um, but then some other categories that, that aren't necessarily 
um, you're not going to find directly in the Bible, but I think fall under some of those biblical categories. One, and um, Sandy uh, mentioned this at um, at one of the um, dessert nights, the the welcome nights um, recently, and so I'm stealing this from her, but I thought it was really good. Single parents, especially in the church community, um, can often feel uh, you know, kind of pushed out to the margins because, you know, they haven't experienced maybe that, you know, perfect family life. Um, you know, maybe they've experienced divorce or, or maybe they were never married and they have kids or whatever it might be. Um, and so there can be either because of some shame associated with that or just the, the realities of a, a different existence because they're single parents um, and, and things are different for them. Um, that that can be kind of a marginalizing experience within the church. I think single people in general, because we hold up marriage so highly and, and, and right, I think rightfully so. I think the Bible holds up marriage highly. Um, but if we're not careful as a body that can marginalize single people, uh, we can make people feel like they haven't really made it until they're married. They're not really full Christians until they're married, which is, isn't true. Our, our savior was not married. So mm -hmm. it's important for us to remember that. Um, I think another category of people, this would fall under the sick, but I think specifically people with mental health struggles um, can really feel marginalized and be marginalized um, in our, in our uh, culture, especially where we want everything to kind of look buttoned up and, and happy. And we're uncomfortable with people being sad or, or not comfortable um, it can cause us to push people who are experiencing, whether it's depression or, or other mental illnesses that, that are uncomfortable, maybe for you to be around, you can end up marginalizing them. Mm. Um, I would also say uh, families with special needs. So whether that's kids who have special needs or uh, maybe one of the parents uh, has some, some sort of special needs, um, that, that those are a group of people in, in our churches and just in our community in general, the way, um, you know, I, I know you've heard this too, but we've heard it kind of talked about as like, you know, people feel like shadow families, yeah. like they're there, uh, kind of mixed in the, into the community, but, but they're not really seen because if you were to see really the, the, the full kind of mess of what they're going through, uh, it would be maybe uncomfortable. And, and so they, they can't really fully be themselves. So there's a marginalizing effect that happens there. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is people in the LGBT plus community, I think mm -hmm. are still, you know, despite what you see when you walk into maybe Target or Sprouts or whatever, like these displays that happen in Pride Month, I do think especially in the church, there's still an experience of marginal marginalization that happens there um, for people in that community. Um, and there's still, there's still a, uh, an othering or, or, uh, some people even have kind of a grossed out reaction, um, things like that, that certainly aren't going to invite someone in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they certainly aren't going to make someone feel welcome. Um, so those are some cultural categories that I would say. Um, and, and what I'll say about all of that is, you know, it wasn't the easy thing for Jesus really as Savior coming into Jerusalem would have been to stay in Jerusalem would have been to stay. I mean, ultimately we know that's where he's going to get killed. But as far as going to the people of God, that that was the expectation for him, right? From others. Mm -hmm. And and that was where the lines were a lot more clear as far as 
what's right and what's wrong and what's clean and what's unclean. That's what we're finding with the insiders and outsiders. And yet here he is in our text that we went through this week going really to the edges. And I think the call is the same for us. That pursuit of those on the edges is is the same for us. And so it's it's not easy though. Mm. You know, even as I showed the map on Sunday, think about how far you had to walk. Yeah. That's not easy. And crossing all of those cultural boundaries, that's not easy. Yeah. Um, none of that's easy. So it's not easy work as we talk about it. It's it takes a lot of intentionality. It's not something we're gonna drift into. Um, it's something that we'll drift away from because it's uncomfortable and it's difficult. Mm. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So just hearing you say that and like looking, like thinking of the list you just said, like, uh, it's interesting because I think as a typical churchgoer, you don't realize how you have a view of, of people, um, or a view of what, of what life should look like, right? You should um, get married and you should have kids and you should be straight and you should be comfortable and you should, you know, all these things that you don't even think about necessarily as, um, expectations you have on people. And so when they don't meet those expectations, I think a lot of times we can be like, I can't with you, or I don't know, I don't have a category for you. I don't have space for you. Um, and I think that, um, what you're saying is that we need to make space for people that are not like us. So what were you going to say? Yeah. I, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's often a conscience, a conscious, right. like I don't have space. Sometimes it is, Yeah. you know, and I think especially for people who are sick or who are dealing with mental illness, I've heard, you know, people say, I don't have space right. for that, which, which uh, sometimes that is the case. Maybe you're dealing with your own mental illness mm -hmm. and what, so I'm not, I don't want to be dogmatic about it, but I think a lot of times it's not a conscious, I don't have space. Yes. It's more of a subconscious. We are not going to, uh, we're always going to take the easy route. We, people are like water. We're always going to find the easy route mm -hmm. and just go there. Um, so if there's any uphill, if there's any, you know, working around corners, we're just not going to do it unless we're being intentional about doing it. Right. And I think that reaching people on the margins and, and being intentional about that and, and really taking that uh, call in faith and in, in, in action takes intentionality. It takes purposefulness, yeah. which I tried to kind of briefly just put put before before everyone in my application, which as far as saying, like, make this measurable. Mm. Um, that's why I mentioned that it kind of came to mind in the moment of it's just so easy to think about the different things that we think Jesus might be calling us to and think, oh, yeah, I should probably do that. But it's they're not easy. Faith isn't easy. Yeah. Uh, Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. That's not easy. Mm. So if we're going to do it, it takes intentionality. It takes purposefulness. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. you've said this on Sundays at some point, but like you're you won't you'll make time for what matters to you. Yeah. And so I think that as we're processing all of these uh, mar people on the margins, it's not just going to fall in our lap. It's right. not just going to be like, oh, I was outside and I had this wonderful conversation with my neighbor because you know what? No one's outside with their neighbors almost at all anymore. Yeah. And your neighbors, more than likely, if they're living in Gilbert, are similar to you. Um, and it's 
So, so what would that look like then to find some people that are on the margins? Like what, how would you, how would you go about doing that? Sorry, I'm throwing you kind of a curveball question here. No, that's okay. I, I think that you can just take those biblical cat. My first step would be to take those biblical categories and, uh, and I can't remember my full list from Sunday cause it was off the top of my head. So if you want the full list, go back and listen to the sermon towards the end. But it, the gist of it was, uh, orphans widows, mm. the sick, the poor, the imprisoned, uh, the immigrant or refugee. Um, th- those are kind of broad and I might've said others, but those are just biblical categories off the top of my head. Um, I would take that list and pray through that. Like, Lord, who in my life am I connected to right now on, on maybe it's a, an acquaintance or it's someone that you're aware of, but you don't really know mm. just Lord who, who in my life, falls into some of these categories and that and i think that's the first step or show me who, who's around me um and in for some people it might not even be necessarily someone that you would immediately lump into one of those categories like for instance we have a neighbor who's widowed and we never knew her when her husband was alive we've only known her since her husband died and I never really thought about her in terms of being a widow until we had her over for dinner mm-hmm. and we're hearing her story. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I guess she is a widow, <laughs> you yeah. know, yep. and in a lot of her story, as far as her isolation, and her loneliness made sense in the context of, oh, yeah, she's trying to figure out life post husband. So you might not right away be like, oh, yeah, this person and, and not that we need to categorize people, but that it just helps to say, oh, yeah, th- this is someone who who God might be calling me to love and to, to make space for. Um, so start with, you know, just thinking about who those people would be praying through Lord, help me to see that. And then I would literally like set out days on the calendar or mm-hmm. time slots of, um, you know, on the fourth Tuesday of every month, I'm going to have that person over for dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, on whatever, you know, whatever it is for you. I don't know. Maybe it's someone at work. I'm going to ask them to lunch, uh, you know, whatever your number is. I, you know, I don't know. We've all got different thresholds and availability, whatever. Uh, every other month on the first Wednesday, I'm going to ask them to go to lunch, this person, yeah. and just get to know them, um, hear their story, spend time with them. Mm. You know, there's nothing magical about it. Um, but I would put something on the calendar Um, if it's something like orphan care, I would put, you know, resources set aside in a budget. Um, if it's caring for the poor, same thing. There's also places you can volunteer with foster families, foster kids. Um, and that's, we've, we've done that with their youth group, but it's been amazing. Yeah. So I think just, just saying, I don't like the, the way that I've approached it is is not that i have like a clear plan that in place that i'm going to go and do x y and z Mm. but more i've got a group of people that i feel like god has put on my heart and i'm going to say yes to as many opportunities as i can to involve myself in their lives and involve them in my life right and so what are some ways i can do that what are just some steps i can take um to do that and and be intentional about that so yeah i think it is if you have to approach it from the context or the the mindset of this is a relationship yep. that I value because um, one thing we heard, we just heard this at a conference recently that stuck with me is that we need these people in our church. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like, Oh, we don't need people with special needs in our church. We don't need people 
who are single in our church. Like, no, we need them because they're a part of the body. Mm-hmm. And right now, um, our church in Gilbert, Arizona is lacking parts of the body because we don't have space for them. And so how can we bring them in and, and, um, so that we can benefit as well, not just so that they can benefit. Yeah. Yeah. That was something that I didn't, didn't really have time to hit my sermon, but it's a good point is like, there can't be like a savior or hero mentality here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more of a, an obedience to the Lord, a faith and what he's calling us to in a recognition that God loves, you know, whoever that person is. And, and also, um, he wants me in community with them for mutual edification, for mm-hmm. mutual building up of one they another. They are valuable to me. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's one of the things I've had. I've had someone say to me like, oh, your friends are so-and-so. Like, oh, thank you. They're such hard people. And every time I'm like, what? They're so valuable to me. They're so precious to me because I know them and I know their story. Like, I don't just make space for them. I love them. And I think that that's a place that we all want to get to. Yeah. Not, I, not saying I'm perfect. I just think of this one situation, right. but. Uh, well, and think about in terms of how Jesus treats the man who's deaf and mute mm. is, you know, he it's, it really is this very intimate moment where Jesus is not just healing that man to, as a means to an end. Um, he's there with him, you know? And I, and I think that that's the call for us to say, I'm, I'm here with you because I care. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I want to be here with you. Yeah. Um, so the last question I wanted to ask is just to get a little more personal. Um, when you think about going to people in the margins, which groups of people, which biblical category do you feel called to? I think the one on my heart right now, and, and even as I answered the last question on how is, is where I'm trying to, you know, find, find ways to, I don't have solid answers on this yet, but a, a, a category of marginalized people that's been on my heart. It's weird having this conversation with you because you know this, you hear me wrestling with this, but is um, especially where we're at and in the time we live in is people who are immigrants or refugees or the biblical category would be like a sojourner would be really that biblical category, but it's mm. someone who is, who is in a foreign land essentially. And, and the, the particular group of people that I've been praying and thinking, how can we serve this group would be people who are here uh, as refugees, because when they come in as, as asylum seekers in particular, um, so someone who's facing a dangerous situation in their home country. Mm-hmm. And so they come here because they're, they're trying to seek safety. Um, a lot of those people who come in are being religiously persecuted. They're Christians who are uh, coming in trying to, you know, escape religious persecution or just like gang violence, things like that. Um, and so I think there's a lot of opportunity for the church there to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to care for people, to receive them. And learning that it typically takes three years for their cases to be processed and that they're not able to work during those three years um, just makes me, just giving me a burden for like, how can we, and we've had these conversations, but how can we like alter our living space to make room for people? Um, How can we clear, I don't know what it is to make room, but that's something that's been on my heart um, a lot recently is, is trying to think about that, pray about that 
take steps towards that um, where I can. But yeah, how, how about you? Yeah, I keep, I don't know, I go back and forth. So I tend to be overly compassionate. <laughs> so when I think of each of these groups, I'm like, I know someone in that group I care about. I know someone in that group I care about. So for me, it's not necessarily like one group I'm praying about. There's just a lot of faces that I'm praying for. I think that that's kind of um, just where I'm at of like, I have faces to the label. You know, I know someone that I love dearly in the LGBTQ plus category, and they're not in that category. They're a relationship to me. Mm -hmm. And so um, just praying more specifically for those people. I think right now my my biggest challenge is um, it's super easy to get swallowed up in my kids and not think outside and care for other people. And so I'm really, really, really praying and trying to um, make time in my schedule that is like, okay, I'm, I, this is hard and I'm exhausted, but this is, this relationship's important to me. It's precious to me. And I'm going to, um, make time for it. Um, and not be, and then, like I said before, not because I need to help this person, but because I need them to help me. Um, there's so much, um, growth and joy and, um, growth, I think is the biggest in, in just, caring for people that are different than me and learning them um, and ha having them correct me and me correcting them. And that just that having that mutual relationship is really, um, it was really powerful. And so I, I think for me right now, it's more making time for relationships um, just in, in those. Yeah. In general. Yeah. And it's tough because it takes a lot of intentionality Yeah, and we're all really busy. Yeah. You know, that's where, yeah, again, just kind of, hit one more time, you know, as we think about making margin, you know, uh, the call is, is really to live on the margins. Mm -hmm. Um, the call is really to go with Jesus to where he's at. Um, and, and maybe there's some stuff that's taking up a lot of time in our lives that needs to move to the margins. And, and that's something I know we, you and I talk about yeah. a lot, but just trying to figure out, okay, and not, in, again, not in a way that's like dogmatic and you know, so I can be accepted by, by God. Nope. Jesus has already run after me. He's mm -hmm. already saved me. Now it's about me running with him. Yeah. And what does that look like? And, and, and how do we all find him there? Mm. Um, you know, and again, like you said, kind of that mutual, uh, beneficial relationship with one another. Yeah. I think the thing you keep, you keep bringing up is prayer. And I think that as, as a church, if we are praying more and seeking God more in prayer, we would be led to the margins more. Yeah. That's, that's probably true, which is a nice plug for the prayer uh, yeah. times on Sunday mornings at 930 that's, that Chris is leading. Um, you know, so that, that's an opportunity just to, there's no real agenda there other than let's seek the Lord and um, try and follow him where he might mm -hmm. be calling us. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Well, thanks for letting me interview today. Yeah. Thanks for uh, <laughs> stepping in and guest hosting. Yes. You're our best guest host we've had so far. Yeah. You know, do what I can. Yeah. You're also the only one. I can't wait but... for my paycheck. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll let Jason know you're waiting on that. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Thanks, right. everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for taking the time to join us today as we brought your Sunday into your weekday. Our hope and prayer is that you'd continue pressing into the Lord and applying the Bible to your life as you seek to honor Jesus as King. We'd encourage you to continue this conversation with God through reading the Word and praying 
and to continue this conversation with other Christians at your Anchor huddles and your Anchor communities. We look forward to worshiping King Jesus with you this Sunday and to talking to you again on the podcast next week.